Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode seven, we'll be interviewing Sarah Britton, founder of My New Roots. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Woman on Fire by Amy Jo Goddard. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for self-love. But first, let's talk about why you need a self-love budget. The Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast is not just about sex or orgasms. It's about reaching the climax in all areas of life. One area of life that I'm very interested in is nutrition, health, and food. And for me, reaching the climax in those areas means eating the best food available. I follow a whole foods plant-based diet that's organic, locally produced, and in season. My motives to start eating this way though were not about self-love or reaching the climax, if I'm honest. It all happened during lockdown at the beginning when everything was very strict. Here in Spain, it was a very strict lockdown and there were streets that I'm used to seeing full of people that were totally empty. And we could only go to the supermarket, the bank or the doctors. And I had a supermarket very close to home and I was kind of sick of going there because I couldn't really go very far. We could have better stay within um, a kilometer of home. And I thought, "Mm, if I go to the organic shop, that's a bit further away, then I'll get a walk in as well because I was sitting at home all day in my 20 square meter apartment, which really felt like a prison because obviously we couldn't go out very often. And also the paranoia of getting COVID was kind of keeping me at home as well. So anyway, I started to go to this organic shop to stretch my legs. But when I was there, I discovered a whole new world of foods that I didn't even, I didn't even know. I was very curious to try different grains, different fruits and different vegetables. And every day I was discovering something new on my plate. And food, actually, lunchtime was a very important part of the day for me. I was having lunch every single day with a friend and it was kind of the big focus of the day. It was, yeah, something to really look forward to because there wasn't that much else to look forward to. Just looking at the news and what was going on and the atmosphere in the street was like something we'd never experienced before. So I enjoyed these these incredible feasts that we made just to kind of distract myself. However, today I'm still paying the price of the extra eight kilos that I have gained. But never mind, at least it was organic. And now I'm really working hard at the gym to kind of, to get rid of that. Anyway, 
fortunately, I don't live in a 20 square meter apartment anymore. I'm in a much bigger place and I'm free to go shopping wherever I want. And now I'm going shopping in a organic shop that all the produce is actually sourced locally, which is fantastic. And it's all in season. So I'm discovering, I'm, I'm eating different things now than I did a few months ago. And I'm always curious to discover new things. It is true that organic food, I was going to say orgasmic food, but yeah, of course, organic is orgasmic. Organic food is definitely more expensive, but I believe it's all about making priorities and having different priorities perhaps, because no matter what you earn, everyone has a self-destruction budget. For example, something that's a real self-destruction cost in life if you're a smoker is tobacco. I remember years ago I used to smoke and it's probably one of, the, one of the biggest things that I regret in my life. It's such a waste of money. There's nothing, it has absolutely no benefit whatsoever. I regret it so much. I regret it from a health perspective and a financial perspective. And I think about how much I spent on tobacco. I hate to think about how much it would be and what I could have spent that money on. Another time I remember going down to my local bottle bank to recycle bottles of wine. And here in Spain, wine is quite, well, it's quite affordable. You can get a good bottle of wine for a good price. But still, I remember putting all these bottles into the bottle bank and hearing them smash. And I would add up all of them, five euros, eight euros, 10 euros. And I thought, oh my God, how much money am I spending on self-destruction? I was quite shocked when I thought about how much it was in a month and what I could have done with that money. I don't drink anymore and I do have some, um, maybe some unhealthy indulgences, but they're very, very, very rare these days. And also when you start eating a bit healthier, you don't really crave the same things. And even if I do have an indulgence, let's say ice cream or whatever, it's still made of coconut. So it's not so bad. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of money and, and how, if you can afford it or not, I think it's all a question of priorities and changing your priorities. And if you want to do that, I think it's a question of eliminating or reducing the self-destruction budget and increasing the self-love budget. Other examples of our self-love or self-destruction budgets could be the money you spend on junk food, processed food, soda, things like that. But self-love can be very affordable indeed. And for example, something I learned a few years ago when I didn't have that much money to, to spend on spoiling myself, I'm quite into crystals and uh, meditation, manifestation and all of those things. And I was watching a video about a stone called green aventurine. And green aventurine is considered a good luck stone. It's what people take to the casino with them to bring them good luck so they can win lots of money. So it's not really a stone associated with essential money, let's say for paying the bills or paying your mortgage, etc. And I saw a video about how to get the most out of this stone. And someone said that what you can do is actually put this stone inside in, in a jar and then on a piece of paper, you write the date and the date could be eight weeks from now. And over time, you just put your spare change in this jar. And then when the big day arrives, you have a blowout and you spend all of that money on fun things. It's really to try to kind of 
help you kind of to adopt an abundance mindset and not think about money as being something that's limited. It's really to just spoil yourself because otherwise, sometimes if we have an, a massage, we're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can afford this. Um, I have to pay the rent or whatever. Whereas this is just money that's actually allocated for, for self-love. So I did that in 2019, actually, and I actually accumulated 78 euros. It was fantastic to seeing all these coins in, in this jar. And then when the big day arrived, which I was really looking forward to, I went to one of my favorite sushi restaurants, a vegan sushi restaurant, and I ordered everything I wanted from the menu, including the fantastic dessert, which is a vegan brownie made with avocado, which is still not so bad, really. And afterwards, I wanted to go and have Reiki. And if you're not familiar with Reiki, it's a form of energy healing. And basically, the Reiki master kind of puts their hands over you to kind of heal your energy. And it's kind of hover hands, basically. And I thought there's no way I can, I can justify spending my hard-earned cash on paying someone to do hover hands all over me. Um, but anyway, but I, if it was fun money though, that's a different story. So I did, and I ended up discovering Reiki for the first time, which was a very interesting experience. It wasn't as let's say, life-changing as, as I'd hoped. But I did, then I had Reiki a second time, which was much better, but that's a different story. But anyway, I did enjoy just spoiling myself for the day and trying to spend everything that I, that I had um, accumulated. Fortunately, now I have a bit more money for self-love. And I have actually started a self-love bank account. And I put a set amount of money into this bank account every month. And this bank account is for my gym membership, my organic food, massages every month. I try to have different spa treatments every month as well. It's really kind of a way to help me to look after myself because work is not just about paying the bills. It's about enjoyment. Life is supposed to be about enjoyment, you know, and uh, and holidays and, and creating nice memories and doing nice things for yourself. That's what I think anyway. And you can never have too much money for self-love. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Sarah Britton, founder of My New Roots. Sarah Britton, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. And you are the creator of the My New Roots blog. And tell me, what inspired you to create this blog? And have you always been interested in food? Well, I was inspired to start the blog after studying holistic nutrition. And I graduated in 2007. I came out of this education almost angry that I wasn't taught this information before. This program really explains in great detail how our bodies function and how we can optimize our life through the foods that we're eating, through lifestyle choices, you know, fitness, fresh air, connection to nature, connection to self. And, you know, I'd grown up my whole life never really understanding how I functioned. And I just thought, wow, I can't believe I'm one of the few people that really understands how this functions, how this works and how I can support it. And I was dating someone at the time who was really like, we were very different. We were from different planets. Um, and I remember going on one day about spirulina and kombucha. And he said, you know what? You should really start a blog. So you have a place to tell people who will care to listen to you about this stuff. 
<laughs> and I thought, okay, well, I guess that's not you anymore. So I broke up with him and I started my blog, My New Roots. And, you know, uh, it was just my mom reading for a really long time. And it was a way for me to share what I had learned in school in, I guess, I like to say it's water cooler talk. So I would break down these really large health concepts into sort of bite-sized pieces for people to be able to remember and then share with others. Because I really believe if we, well, I really believe we have, you know, control over the way we feel. And often we hand that responsibility off to someone in a white coat, but really it belongs to us. And I wanted to empower people and remind them that they have the power to yeah, feel good every day if they want to. It's just a few simple things you really need to shift. We've gotten really far away from nature. We've gotten really far away from our body connection and listening to ourselves. And so I thought, well, maybe I will start a blog and just started sharing actually mostly lifestyle things. And what seemed to resonate with people were the recipes because there was something they could really you know take action on right away and go into their kitchen and make something. And as the blog grew... My culinary skills grew and uh, eventually landed me a cookbook deal and TV show and all kinds of other things. So it's been amazing. To answer your second question, I did not come from a cooking background at all. I, I always loved eating, but my parents were not really interested in food that much. They definitely didn't love cooking. So I don't know. The, the family togetherness was much more about just sitting around a table together. It really wasn't about what we were eating. I had um, my mom's, my best friend's mother, rather, was really into food. And I think she was the first person to get me interested in that. Like, I had my first sushi with her, my first hummus, and we went for Ethiopian. And my world sort of opened up with her a lot, for sure. Fantastic. I guess we don't come from that culture anywhere. We don't, we're not taught this at school, or then the parents don't know how to prepare food that's healthy, et cetera. <laughs> exactly. So tell me about what, how would you define the food that you are? eating and cooking? Yeah, I share primarily plant-based recipes. My focus is really whole foods to mm -hmm. get people eating whole natural foods again. And I often, I mean, I was fully plant-based for many years, probably 15 years. And uh, when I got pregnant, I started reintroducing eggs and and a little bit of like goat or sheep dairy, not much. It's mostly just eggs. I just have a few a week. I really enjoyed them. And I have, uh, my friend has backyard chickens down the street. So <laughs> I know where they're coming from. But most of my, most of the food I eat is just as close to nature as possible. So minimally processed. Uh, if it is processed, I usually, you know, ferment. I love fermenting foods. So I do a lot of that. Uh, and fermented beverages. It's really whole, clean, unprocessed. And yeah, I have a very, a real focus on flavor, of course. I think if you're going to adopt more plants into your diet, then it's really important that they're delicious and there's some kind of incentive and flavor typically is that for people. So I'd say my food is really rich and flavorful, but incredibly health supportive. It's just not the kind of health food that where you'll be able to taste it. It doesn't feel sacrificial in any way. It feels very celebratory. And that's one thing I'm also trying to help people with is like, remember that, you know, we get to eat three or more times a day and it can be a celebration. It can be a ceremony. It can connect you to yourself and the natural world. And again, the closer we're eating to nature, then 
the more we're going to feel that connection. Definitely. Just after the, um, I had COVID and pneumonia early this year. So when I came out of hospital, I was, uh, I, I went completely organic and I found that some of the vegetables that are and locally produced as well. And some of the reg- vegetables I was eating, I found that they, I enjoyed them more. They had tastes that I didn't remember them having, such as you know, tomatoes or red peppers. And, and I just thought, wow, I didn't know a red pepper was supposed to taste like this. So have you had similar experiences? Yes, for sure. Um, I mean, I grow a lot of my own food in the in the months where I can, and I'm always blown away at the intensity of flavor and the richness of flavor and the colors. And yeah, I mean, nothing gets me more excited than a tomato that I've grown yeah. myself in the sun. It's like, it's a religious experience. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, um, I just read that in the book that the tomato was was the inspiration. And, and for me, I'm living actually in Barcelona. So the tomatoes there are incredible. Because in England, we just have, you know, the salad tomato, cherry tomato, and beef tomato, and that's it. But um, there's an incredible variety called Cordobo, which is like a wrinkled tomato. It looks, it's just, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the best one. It's just so amazing. Yeah, vegetables are phenomenal. I mean, I can't believe that the gifts of the earth gives to us and I think if we can be tuned in to um I guess that reception and that the gratitude it's a whole Mm. it adds another element (laughs) definitely so what would you say to someone who thinks that buying organic food is expensive because a lot of people think that and they don't buy it for that reason I guess you know it's hard to convince people of that it's expensive because it takes more resources and you know, depending on where you live in Canada, our conventionally grown food is heavily subsidized. So when you take a head of broccoli that the government has helped lower the price of so people don't have to pay that much and it's, you know, a 79 cent head of broccoli and then the organic one right next to it is four ninety nine. you know, it's a real luxury then to buy organic food. I know in Europe it's different. I lived in Denmark for nine years and the difference between the organic and conventional was a lot less. But here, I mean, it's it, it almost becomes a two-tiered health system when you look at it that way. Um, but I would say to people, you know, it's every dollar you spend, you're really voting for the kind of world you want to live in and you're voting for the, what you believe in. And as a consumer, I really believe in taking care of this earth for seven generations ahead of mine, you know. And I just think there's no way we can... Uh, we can't grow food conventionally on the commercial level the way we are sustainably. It's just not going to happen. And if we expect to have food for our children and our grandchildren and soil that actually can sustain life, then we need to really put our money into that. We really need to invest in not just our future, but future generations. And that means choosing agricultural practices that support life and that hopefully even improve life fortunately it doesn't cost 490 or whatever you said for a broccoli here yeah, the, difference is, the difference is not that much actually especially in Barcelona which is a great place to to access um you know farmers markets or cooperatives that have um kind of more easier better prices for their for their food so there's, there's no excuse once you yeah. start on the organic it's just like you can't stop for me it's been like that anyway it's definitely- yeah and I think the other thing is we also need to remember that a lot of these chemicals that we're using to grow food are incredibly harmful to the human body. So even if it's not just an environmental thing, it's like we have to also take into account what we're putting inside our systems. And 
it really does affect us on multiple levels. And, um, you know, we already have enough sort of extra chemicals coming at us from the air that we're breathing, from the water we're drinking, from the things that we're putting on our bodies, even our clothing. So, you know, reducing that toxic load is really important. So even if you're not doing it from an environmental perspective, from a health perspective, I'd say it's really, really crucial if you can afford it. And of course, um, I know it varies country by country, but uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in North America every year puts out sort of a dirty dozen list, which is the the top highest pesticide residue fruits and vegetables. And then they have the clean 15. And that usually stays pretty consistent, but that's a really good guide for people. So if you really can't afford to buy organic, uh, avoid the, the dirty dozen and then, you know, buy the clean 15 conventional um, because certain fruits and vegetables have the tendency to absorb and retain a lot more uh, pesticide residue than other ones. And so it's important to choose the ones that are less. <laughs> Definitely. So how has uh, moving back to Canada affected your, the ingredients of your food? Have you, are they similar, is it similar produce? Has, has it affected your, your creativity? Yeah, they're actually quite similar. Um, the climates in Denmark and uh, Ontario, where I am in Canada, are quite similar. The summer is a little hotter here, um, but it's a little, yeah, the, the light is mostly what's different. It's, it's quite similar, I'd say. There's just certain vegetables that they have over there that you can't find here that I, I really do miss. I'm actually going back on Saturday for the first time in two years, so I'm excited. They have these pointy cabbages over there that I wow. absolutely love. Maybe you get them in Barcelona. I've got but, this thing um, called Romanesca, which I hadn't seen before. You know Romanesca? Oh. Yeah, I, I just thought it looked beautiful, so I just bought it to take a picture of it. But um, I actually really liked it because I wasn't having enough cruciferous vegetables in, in my diet. And also, I, I'm going to this shop which is all local, kilometer zero. So it's um, very only made one journey from the farm, and it's all organic. So and it's all in season. So I'm discovering these new things. For example, recently I bought um, white aubergines. So you call them eggplants, maybe. Yes. But I just thought that's so strange, you know, just buying. And also courgettes, I think you have another name for that. Zucchini, which is like round. Have you seen those? It's just, yeah. love seeing different things and, and trying different things. Because I was also, also a really fussy eater as a child. So I'm now discovering this way of eating. I'm like eating anything that's, that's plant-based. It's, it's fantastic. Well, I, you know, I think a common misconception for people who are plant-based is that we, you know, we eat a lot of weird foods, but I think what's cool when you venture into this world is that the universe of possibilities of food really expands. I mean, yeah, I think I eat, you know, most of my diet consists of things people probably have never heard of before, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, to the, to the common person. Um, yeah, I think it's exciting. There's so many beautiful foods to discover and ingredients to play with. And I, I love it. And in this, in this book, My New Roots, which is fantastic, you talk about um, eating um, according to the seasons, but you describe five seasons. Can you tell us why? Yeah, so I studied traditional Chinese medicine after holistic nutrition, and they break up, the Chinese medicine calendar is broken into five seasons. So it's spring, early summer, late summer, fall and winter. And when you sort of look at the way the weather changes and you look at what produce is available in the summer, you can really split it up into two distinct seasons. The beginning of the summer is sort of like 
berries and lettuces. And then, you know, late summer, you're starting to get into the, some of the soft summer squashes and you're getting into, um, you know, figs and peaches and pears and apples. So there really are two distinct seasons. The first part of the summer tends to be quite bright and hot and then it gets the light changes, the days get shorter. Um, yeah, so that's why I broke the book up into five seasons because that's sort of how I now, after studying, uh, look at the year and really love to be in tune with that distinct change as we shift into late summer where we are now. Fantastic. One of the girls here at the retreat is actually a fan of yours and she is, has tried some of your recipes and she, t- oh, and she's, cool. she loves the um, life-changing bread. I haven't tried yes. any of them yet, but um, I'm, I'm, I will be definitely trying the, probably the life-changing bread. But to anyone who doesn't know what life-changing bread is, could you describe it and what, why is it life-changing? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. It was quite bold of me to call it that, I realized. So uh, I think it was in 2012 I blogged this recipe. I, I was looking to reduce my consumption of flour in my life because what happens when you mill a grain within 72 hours, it's pretty much lost most of its nutrients. Um, vitamins and minerals are incredibly sensitive to light, heat, and oxygen. Actually, all food is. And... Um, you know, similar examples, coffee. If you don't grind your own coffee beans, there's really no point in drinking it, especially if you want to get any kind of goodness out of it. So as soon as you expose the interior of a food to heat, light, and oxygen, it starts to degrade and it starts to lose its life force and also its nutrients. And so because of that, I thought, okay, well, I'll stop eating bread, but I need to replace it with something. And this was at a time when the paleo diet had sort of just landed in Denmark. And there were some loaves circulating uh, with nuts and seeds and things. And I thought, okay, I'll take a crack at that. And I came up with the life-changing loaf. And it's it's mostly seeds. There are some whole uh, rolled oats in there. And then psyllium husk, which is one of the most absorbent fibers in nature. That's going to be the binding agent. A lot of these loaves had eggs in them, and I wanted to do a vegan version and gluten-free. So I use psyllium fiber, which uh, really is incredible for digestion. And then a little bit of coconut oil and some water. And you basically mix it all up. You can mix it in the bread pan. You don't even need to have a bowl for this recipe. And you can flavor it any way you like. And yeah, it comes out. I bake it in a rye bread tin, actually. And then it comes out and you can slice it up. It makes the best toast ever because all the nuts and seeds inside will get toasted and delicious and cooked fat. It's really yummy. And it's just really versatile. You can, in the cookbook, I put caraway and olives in the loaf, but you can put figs and rosemary and black pepper and garlic and chilies. And you can also do like a maple cinnamon version. And then as a riff off that, in fact, once I made, uh, I was going on a trip on a plane and wanted to take the loaf with me, but I thought it was pretty impractical. So I took the dough before I baked it and I rolled it flat into crackers and I made the best crackers. The life-changing crackers. The life-changing crackers. And it's funny, Venus, I get probably once a week, I still do, an email from someone saying how much that loaf changed their life. So it was, it's cool because I thought, wow, that's a really huge claim to make. But <laughs> it, I'm not lying. It really does change people's lives. It allows people who want to cut back on refined carbohydrates, which is one of my like biggest missions in life, is to get people, again, back. If we're going to eat grains, they should be whole fermented, 
freshly ground, whatever. And uh, so it's really cool to hear that people are enjoying it so much and their kids are enjoying it. It's also just so energizing, gives you so much fuel, like clean burning, really good fuel for your body. And it's tasty. I'll definitely try, try it when I get home. Uh, I watched your TED Talk. I watched your TED Talk the other day and um, you talked about making one change a day. And I wanted to know, that was a few years ago now. You must have made yes, many changes have. since then. So what changes have you made to your cooking since Ooh. then? Well, I suppose I'm just trying to... I'm constantly trying to challenge myself in the kitchen. Um, So, you know, once a week or so, I'll make someone else's recipe for a change. And I find it really introduces some cool concepts and techniques into my repertoire that I didn't have before. This keeps me interested in the kitchen. It keeps me inspired and it pushes me creatively for sure. Um, Often I'll take a recipe that's a very sort of standard American diet recipe and just understanding the technique of it, then I can tweak it to be vegan to you know have only whole foods in it to be um, sprouted or activated that's another thing that I'm really big on is activating all of my nuts and seeds and grains and legumes and I think yeah I'm just constantly trying to stay inspired uh, keep gardening try new flavors try new techniques just challenge myself. Otherwise, yeah, cooking can be kind of boring sometimes if you get into a routine with it. And so I think for people, the one change concept was really, um, I mean, it doesn't even need to be around cooking. It can be like, I'm going to go for a five minute walk after my lunch every day. You know, it can be something like that, but just to be constantly striving to improve your life in some way, because that makes you feel good. And one change begets another. I think that's a cool thing. When you are pushing yourself constantly, you build up a momentum around it and a confidence around it. You know, like almost a self-trust of, I am looking after myself. I got this. Like, What am I going to treat myself to today? And I just think it's a beautiful part of the relationship with myself that I I appreciate that about me, that I'm always trying to better myself, not in a forced way, in a relaxed way, but, you know, it's, I I think it it helps keep me constantly inspired. So do you grow your own food then? As much as I can. I have a little plot in our backyard and I, this year, planted more than I ever have. And it's so beautiful. I, I really feel like it's just such a privilege to have a space to grow things and to have that connection and to steward land and to help the earth express itself. That's really how I feel. It's almost like I'm really tuned into the plants and listening to what they want and then able to, yeah, give them life. And and there's just a beautiful reciprocation that's going on. So what would you, uh, what advice would you give to someone living in a city without a garden? Do you have any, any tips for? Yeah, for sure. Um, actually I did have a video on my membership platform called grow where I show people who are living in a city, how to grow lettuces and herbs and just simple things. But really, even if you only have a window, if you can put a window box outside, you can grow your easily grow your own lettuce. Um, I have a whole tutorial on that online and I mean, it's, it's really not complicated, especially with the planting technique that I show you, which is called broadcast planting. I mean, it's really a two-year-old could do it. And 
I think for people living in a city like I did for many years in Copenhagen, I didn't even have a balcony actually, just had a window. Um, just again, just to be connected in some way to what you're eating, I think is really important. If you don't know a farmer, if you don't have a plot of land, just to have a window box where you can pick your own lettuce or your own basil or your own rosemary. There's something really empowering and inspiring about that in itself. Does a window box have to be inside or does it have to be outside? Well, in a to be I mean, herbs, you can usually buy potted herbs and keep them on the windowsill for a little while, but things like lettuce really do need uh, to be outdoors. They do best there. So what do you do when you, you, when you feel lazy? What do you make? Do you have a kind of go-to kind of, or do you, do you batch cook and prepare things that are frozen or? Well, I, I'm not really a meal prepper. The way that I sort of structure my week is um, I do these things called rollovers and rollovers. My definition is intentional leftovers. Okay. And the way it works is I sort of make larger amounts than I would require at one meal so that they will roll over into the next meal. And then each day I'll sort of create an element for the rollover so that if Monday I have brown rice and Tuesday I have lentils and suddenly I have lentils and rice. Wednesday, I still have lentils that have rolled over from Tuesday, but the brown rice is gone, so I'll make quinoa. And then the quinoa is left over on Thursday, but the lentils are gone, so I'll make chickpeas. And so there's sort of just a, yeah, a rolling over of ingredients. And I'd say that I typically have these base elements, which are, I eat a lot of legumes because I'm primarily plant-based. So I need uh, just the protein and the fiber from them. And then I'll supplement that with a whole grain and then whatever vegetables are in season, whatever's growing in the garden, whatever, whatever's at the farmer's market or the local market. And depending on the season, again, if it's the summertime. I typically eat a lot of raw food in the summer. And then in the winter, I eat almost exclusively cooked food. And that's another traditional Chinese medicine principle in the way that we should be eating with the seasons. Like a salad in the winter actually really can throw off your body. Um, it can introduce way too much cold dampness, which is something we have already too much of in the winter time. And yeah, it's just about sort of paying attention to what's going on around you. But this rollover technique, I mean, it, I know it saved a lot of people because I probably spend half an hour in the kitchen every day. And yet I have quite elaborate meals, in my opinion, because I'm not cooking everything from scratch every single day. I'm using these elements that have been pre-made and um, it just makes life so much easier. And then you can be creative with the toppings. I'm a big fan of sauces and dressings. So I always have, you know, something in the fridge. I love tahini. So I often have like a big batch of creamy, garlicky tahini dressing that's good on everything. I also love toasted nuts and seeds and different sprinkles like dukkha and furikake, togarashi. So I'll have things like that to put on top of even plain brown rice. It just makes it so delicious. So I feel like I eat quite simply, but I know when people come to my house and I like just throw something together, they're quite impressed. But it's because I have a lot of elements already made up that I can really just assemble and then voila, it's pretty, pretty delicious and nutritious and filling and energizing and good for the planet. I recently read um, Eat to Live by Dr. Joel Furman. And he talks oh, about yeah? volume eating and he's a nutritarian. And I was so inspired to actually give up olive oil when I read this book, because you talk about olive oil as well. And, and um, I'm living in Spain, they kind of sell it to you that it's so healthy. And, and I was also tracking my nutrition with chronometer. 
And then every day I had olive oil, it was 35% fat. Like, oh my God. And um, I was wondering why the pandemic layer was not shifting. <laughs> so, so for the last three weeks, I've been um, oil free and um, making my own salad dressings without oil. And it's really interesting that you can make these flavors and things without any oil at all using tofu, cashews, or yeah. balsamic vinegar, sun-dried tomatoes. It's really, really interesting. I saw that you were very passionate. Do you, do you want to do any, any salad dressings that are oil-free? Yes, for sure. I actually have a vegetable-based uh, dressing collection on my platform, Bro. And uh, I know we have a special discount, actually, for your listeners, <laughs> which maybe you can put in the show notes. But, um, yeah, I mean... I, I get most of the fats in my diet from whole foods. So things like olives and avocados and nuts and seeds. I have a little bit of oil, but I typically don't have a lot. Again, oil is not a whole food, right? It's mm. been extracted from a whole food. And so if I'm living by my own principles, which are to eat whole foods as much as possible, then oil is really not included in that. Now, I'm not dogmatic about these things. Olive oil is very delicious. And of course, mm. I have it once in a while, but yeah, I don't consume a ton of it and neither does my family. We really try and get most of our fats from the food that, you know, the original food that oil comes from. And, and you saw in your TED talk that you were very passionate about plant milk. And recently I just <laughs> made my very first plant milk and I couldn't believe how easy it was. I just got a Vitamix a few months ago and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just in love with it. But it's incredible how easy it is to make, you know. Well, again, you know, from an environmental standpoint, we, we think about, the packaging and the processing that, you know, almonds or oats or whatever it goes through. And it's a very expensive product. It's a, it's a really luxury item, you know, to spend four or $5 on this carton of liter of milk. Whereas if you make it at home, it's like a few cents. And again, there's no packaging. So I'm all for people making their own nuts, seed, grain, milks, whatever. And I have a really nice hack. If people want to, let's say make their own almond milk, sesame milk, whatever, you can take a spoonful of nut butter and put that in your Vitamix with water and blend it up. And then you've got plant-based oh, milk wow. really quickly. Yeah. The flavor will be slightly different, of course, and it's not going to be raw. But it, in a pinch, it's really, really good. And uh, it's nice. You don't have to strain it. So what about, um, I didn't find I needed to strain that because that surprised me when I saw that in your um, TED talk. Because when I made the cashew milk, it didn't, I didn't need to strain it. It was... Um... Cashew is different because okay. um, it's just a creamier nut. Uh, I do a no-strain cashew and hemp milk that's really delicious. I should send you that recipe. It's oh, wow. super easy. Well, two ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no-strain as well. Again, like Whole Foods, you know, since making that almond milk during my TED talk, I've been like, hmm, maybe I don't really need to strain out the pulp because there's so much goodness in the in the nut pulp. Uh, so, which I make hummus out of, which you should try. Oh, great! Um, but the cashew and hemp milk, yeah. I mean, you're again, you're getting all the seeds in there, so you're getting a lot of the fiber and the fats and proteins that are in those nuts. You're not removing the pulp and uh, drinking it all together, so it remains whole food. Fantastic. What about um, plant-based cheeses? Do you experiment with that? Do you make? Yeah, a little bit. There's one in my in that book, actually. Yeah, I don't go too much into it. Um, a lot of them require a dehydrator. And I'm just, dehydrator is one of those pieces of equipment. I don't experiment with a lot just because most of my readers don't have them. 
And to put a recipe up that requires such a specialized piece of kitchen equipment, I feel is a little unfair. So I try and stick to cheeses that are just fermented, um, not dehydrated. Um, but I love like, yeah, using cashews as a base or almonds or even sunflowers seeds as a base for different cheeses. And my second cookbook, Naturally Nourished, I make um, an aubergine cannelloni. So the cannelloni noodles are the aubergine that you roast in the oven. And then there's a sunflower seed uh, ricotta that you put in the middle. It's delicious. Well, sounds like we're having dinner in, in an hour. I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> <laughs> I can smell the uh, kitchen. Because um, here I'm in a place that's um, no, uh, it's no sugar. It's all locally produced, local organic food. I'm in the French Pyrenees, so it's just uh, really, really beautiful, really tasty. Sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it's, and, and the desserts with no sugar is like amazing. <laughs> really good. So good. Yeah, we don't need sugar. We really, really, really don't need it in our lives. And especially, actually, I often call desserts, healthy desserts, the gateway to whole foods because... Mm. When I make a brownie or a sundae or so, you know, something for people that's like so rich and indulgent and then tell them that it's made with whole foods and it's vegan and they just, they can't believe it. And they're like, okay, well, how about a pasta dish or how about this? And so people, it sort of gets their wheels turning a bit. If you can convince someone that a brownie made from walnuts and dates and cacao, you know, is delicious and I feel like the rest is pretty easy. <laughs> so as you're a content creator and hosting online classes and workshops and retreats, how has this changed your own relationship with, with food, actually making content from, from the food you're eating? I mean, it doesn't, it hasn't really changed anything. I, I think one thing I'm really proud of throughout my career so far is I've really been true to myself all the way along and really, I mean, I'm really just sharing what, I love and what interests me when I create content it's of course it's for an audience but it's really what I do already it's just my I'm just sharing my life with people so I can't say that things have really changed that much um you know I probably you know put the most effort into the photography to be honest (laughs) (laughs) oh you said you're in photos I take all my own photos for the for the books for my site for Instagram yeah it's all my own and you know it's almost like that is the more challenging part of it because I just want to sit down and eat, but then I have to, of course, take a photo of it. So that's really the only thing that's changed, I'd say, is just, you know, having that visual representation of the dish because we're living in a very visual world right now. And if a dish doesn't look good, no one's going to make it. So it's really important for me that I uh, create something that's visually enticing that makes people want to make it. It's interesting because a lot of um, photos of food are kind of inedible because they've, they've got dyes on or they, they, they've been manipulated in some ways. I've heard about yeah, that. not mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Mine is really my dinner that I made last night or really my breakfast. And, uh, you know, of course, I will put a flower petal here and there that maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't if I was just going to hoover it. But, um, you know, it's also part of the expression of the food and my the creative output of it it's is that the capturing of the visual and you know it is also ceremony for me it's like a prayer to the earth and thanks for what i've been given is to create something really beautiful with it and then to share that with people i love it so much definitely a few quick quick questions for you do you have a phrase or affirmation or quote that you live by (laughs) that's a really good question i think i have a lot of them 
lately I've just, I'm going through some stuff with my body and I'm really just affirming how much I love her. And I was seeing my acupuncturist uh, last week and at the end of the session, I just said, oh, I love my body so much. And he said, I have never heard anyone say that before. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I say it all the time. I'm like constantly telling her how amazing she is and thanking her for like carrying me through this life and doing the best that she can with what she's been given. And so I think that's a big affirmation. It's just like, you're doing so great. I love you so much. We're here together, mind and body. Um, and then, yeah, I think I also just like to say yes a lot. Ah, interesting. Yes. The film isn't there called yeah. Yes Man. I haven't seen that with Jim Carrey. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. Yes, I think it's about when you start to say yes to things, you open up so many opportunities and you become more receptive. You do. So, mm -hmm. you know, part of that is creating opportunities for myself to be able to say yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's amazing what flows into your life when your mind and heart are open to things. And when you affirm that, it just continues and the abundance just, just proliferates. It's amazing. And what about, what's the book that changed your life? I'm reading a book right now, actually, that's quite astounding. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. And that, it's a, it's a book written by a, uh, indigenous scientist, and plant whisperer in a way. And it's really about just all the amazing things that plants do. And I, I would say it's changing my life and my perspective. I feel more connected to the earth reading this book than anything I've ever picked up. And it's, it's amazing how this woman has just figured out the way that plants communicate with each other, the way that nature, the, the way it works and the way that human beings can have a relationship to nature that where there is this reciprocal thing happening. And I, I think it's easier for us to feel disconnected from nature and feel like we're not a part of it, but we, we really are. And the more we can reconnect, the more we can spend time outdoors in nature, breathing fresh air, listening to the wind, feeling the water on our skin, feeling the sun, you know, we, we sort of, I don't want to say we become planet life. Of course we don't, but we become more connected to it in a way. And I think the more connected we are to nature, the more we're going to want to protect it and, you know, make good choices um, on both of our behalves because we are really inextricably linked. Definitely. And how can people find you? People can find me. Um, I'm most active on social media. So my Instagram is at my new roots. And I'm also on Facebook at the same link and or same address, my new roots. And my blog is also called my new roots, but it's dot org. So not dot com, but my org. And um, I also, like I mentioned, I have a new online membership platform called Grow, My New Roots Grow, which I launched in March because I really love teaching so much. But because of the pandemic, I felt like, well, this might be a while. <laughs> so 2020 was the year I created this online platform and it's mostly cooking videos, but it really does extend into more lifestyle stuff as well. I love uh, skincare. I'm really passionate about making my own skincare products. And so there's tutorials on that. 
There's nutrition lectures for people to understand more about how their digestion works. Um, I'm working on a women's lecture for hormonal health at the moment, which is proving to be like quite a very in-depth. It's a, it's a lot of work, but I think it's really going to help women understand their bodies a lot more because again, I was never taught about my cycle whatsoever in school and my mom didn't know anything and my friends didn't know anything. So it was like the blind leading the blind. And I think if women especially can, you know, understand their bodies uh, on a deeper level, they're going to feel much more connected to them. So I'm working on that. And uh, what else is there? There's also meditation classes. There's movement classes. The woman that I collaborate with on my retreats, Nicola Marilyn Kesey, she teaches all the movement classes in there. And there's everything from like, you know, a deep yin stretch all the way up to like very high intensity dance classes. So there's really something for everyone. It has been called the wellness or the Netflix of wellness. Uh, so you can go on and find, yeah, there's hundreds of recipes. There's uh, cooking videos and uh, it's just fun. It's a place for me to share the things that I love the most. And I think will really help people um, be inspired in their life. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah Britton, for taking part in the My Orgasmic Lifestyle podcast. Thank you so much. We've been learning a lot, and I think I'm getting hungry <laughs> just thinking yes. about food now. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank I you. hope you enjoy the recipes, and I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Thank you so much. The book I'm reading now is Woman on Fire by Amy Jo Goddard, and the tagline is, Nine Elements to Wake Up Your Erotic Energy, Personal Power, and Sexual Intelligence. This book has been on my radar for a very long time. In fact, whenever I'm looking for something new to read, I often go to Amazon and I put female sexuality into the search bar. And this book came up a lot. However, it wasn't so easy to get a hold of. For example, a new copy was something like 140 euros at least. And all, the, and all the reviews were amazing. So I thought, wow, this must be a really good book. It's been on my radar for maybe over a year. So when I saw that there was a secondhand copy at a decent price, I jumped on it. And as soon as I got it, I devoured it. It's so interesting. There are nine different sections to it. And it's a very holistic approach to sexuality. And it really does convey sexual beauty, which is something I'm very, very passionate about. And which is something that also inspired me to start this podcast because I'm very, I've been a sexpert now for 12 years. And often I see representations of sexuality, which are very, let's say, quite vulgar or quite medical. There's nothing really in between or maybe too woo-woo or I don't know, but I, I don't really see the kind of power of sexuality really expressed that often because it's not just about orgasms or or love or romance. There's also, there's, it can also be used for many, many things. Anyway, in this book, there are nine there are nine elements to wake up your erotic energy, and they are voice, excavate, and rewrite your sexual story. Release, make space for the sexual self you've been waiting for. Emotion, show up as emotionally powerful. Body, know and radically accept your body. Desire, activate desire and create a sexual practice permission. Give yourself permission to be erotically authentic. Play. Develop sexual skills and remember how to play. Home. 
build sexual confidence and come home to you. And last but not least, fire. Use your dynamic sexual energy to live vibrantly. This book was very complete. There are some parts that are based on the author's experience and then some theory and also some some testimonials as well from some of the clients that she has helped over the years because she is a sexual sexual empowerment coach so it's really 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 fascinating and also something that really kind of struck me personally was about not using your voice enough, not using your voice to say yes or even to say no. It made me think about something that I've never really talked about before, but something that I call self-rape. When you go ahead with sex and you don't really want to, but it just seems like too much hassle to say no or do something else, and you end up just being in a situation where you don't really want it, but and I think people think of rape and they think of something violent or aggressive, but it's not always like that. And it made me think about sometimes in my life when I haven't really spoken up and said, actually, I don't want this. I don't blame the other person though in that situation because they didn't know what was happening either. I think consent, you have to, I think you have to let your partner know if you want it or if you don't, because if you don't want it, they probably won't want it if they're a decent person. So that made me, oh, it, did, it really did um, strike a chord with me. But there are other parts of it, though, of the book, which are a lot more orgasmic and empowering. And um, I enjoyed it a lot. And I would definitely recommend this book to anyone who wants to ignite their sexual fire. I think it's for anyone at any kind of level of sexuality. I think sometimes when I read books about sexuality, they seem to be quite basic considering, you know, for me, I've been in this in this world now for 12 years, but this book definitely taught me many things. So I think it's for everyone for whatever knowledge, whatever knowledge or experience you have about sexuality, you'll definitely learn a lot from this book. So that is Woman, Woman on Fire by Amy Jo Goddard. Highly recommended. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. Choose self-love. 
set up healthy boundaries. I spend time with people who uplift me. I treat myself and others with kindness. I listen to my body. I rest when I need to. I seek help and support when I need it. I am enough. I am here. myself. I am worthy of love. I choose self-love. I do things that contribute to my growth. I invest in myself. I invest in my health. I invest in my education. I am a good person. I am worthy of a great life. I am enough. I am here now. I love myself. I am worthy of love. I choose self-love. I am beautiful. I accept myself the way I am. I appreciate my uniqueness. I am grateful for the love in my life. I deserve to be loved and respected. I deserve to be happy. I am enough. I am here now. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.